Amen. It's good to worship together. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we do ask for grace to trust you more. Oh, Lord, let us, let us hold firmly to those things that we have known, those things that we are learning. I pray that you would teach us by your Spirit more and more clearly who you are, what you are doing. Give us faith. I pray that you would open the words of your Holy Scriptures now and transform us through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a privilege to get to worship, and uh, from my standpoint, it's just a great privilege to get to open God's Word with you, um, to, to pour over it and to, to ask the Lord, you know, what, what would you have for us, and then to get to share. So thank you for being a part of that. Uh, truly, I think what happens on Sunday mornings with us together is something that the Lord intends to use to, to sharpen us, not just individually, but, but as a body that bears his name. So we are starting into Titus this week. We'll be there the next five weeks. And so uh, if you want to turn somewhere, uh, the beginning of Titus would be good. We're just going to focus on the, the introduction, actually, just the first four verses. And I think, for me at least, this is a really appropriate time to do that because this is the time of the year that I'm exhausted. Frankly, I'm juggling, I'm dropping, dropping a few things. Um, and I think at that time, it is so critical to remember who you are. And uh, you could talk about sort of who Paul was historically. Remember, Paul wrote this letter to Titus. But this is not so much who Paul was in history, but who Paul saw himself as. And really, who you see yourself as makes a, a huge difference. So, uh, we'll have the words pop up here, and we'll hear what Paul says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he is brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of, our, of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So this is Paul's opening to Titus. A few things sort of to remember. Uh, they, they lived in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at that time, letters would have been written opening with who the author was, so I would have said Keith, to John, and then I would have had a greeting. So those pieces are classic, and, and you want to kind of pay attention to what pieces Paul doesn't change, but then you also want to pay attention to the pieces that he, he writes uniquely to Titus, and by extension to the church in Crete that Titus was hoping to oversee. So uh, just sort of backing up, one, one moment, that first verse, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
Okay? So two things. Um, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, one of those things Paul had in virtually every single one of his openings. So, uh, Paul, we have 12 letters in the New Testament that Paul opened in a very similar way. You can sort of see this style. So, uh, you don't need to flip there, but maybe, maybe I'll flip over to uh, 1 Corinthians, and I'll read you the first line. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. So, what do you see there? Well, maybe not the, the servant part, but Paul, an apostle. Second uh, Corinthians, here's the first line. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. If you flip a little farther, the next letter we have is Galatians. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So there is one thing that Paul puts in there, and he wants us to be really, really clear on. He believes that he is this thing called an apostle. So if, if you go and look that up, uh, I guess the, the definition I learned as a kid was one who is sent. Uh, the, the Bible dictionary I looked up said an apostle is an envoy, an ambassador, a messenger commissioned to carry out the instructions of the commissioning agent. So what would an ambassador have been to the Romans? Well, it would have been somebody who represented the king to somebody else. And Paul is saying, I have a unique role. I came to Crete, I came representing Christ the King and God Almighty. I came representing him to you. Um, and part of the reason Paul starts out his letters like that, I really believe, is because he's stating, I have been called and I have authority from the Lord to speak. But part of this Remember, this is about how Paul sees himself. Part of this is something that Paul actually ascribes to you and to me. If you've become a follower of Jesus Christ, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation, the, the message of reconciling humanity to a loving God. And then he says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You hear that? Paul is saying, I see all of us as Christ's ambassadors. And somehow not, not maybe singularly, but maybe collectively, you can sort of see if one who doesn't know the message of Jesus Christ, the message of hope, were to hear it, most likely they're going to hear it from God's representatives here. Most likely they're going to hear from the body of Christ here. And so this is Paul's identity. Now there's another, there's another title he uses. Um, ambassador is really high and really lofty. But remember, Paul actually starts this letter to Titus with a servant of God, or your translation might have a bond servant, or some translations even have the word slave. In the Greek, that's doulos, and what that is, is it somebody who can't leave. So, um, 
It's a servant, but somebody who is committed and, and they can't leave. And so Paul is saying, on the one hand, I have this high calling. I am a representative of the Most High God. I have authority to speak this message. And on the other hand, he's saying, I'm a servant. I'm a servant who can't leave. Um, because I have given myself to this message. I am bound to God. I am bound to this message. And I think it's really sort of important um, to remember sort of the high, high, and, the, and, and the, the humbleness of this calling. If you have experienced the grace, the kindness, Paul says in another place, if you have any comfort from his love, if any tenderness and compassion, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if you have experienced that, you have a responsibility, and that is to share the life-giving words of hope. Um, Paul doesn't just use this terminology for himself. He writes in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, it, he's writing to believers, and he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And I think for myself, I see the Christian body as really sort of prone to tip one way or the other here. You know, it's really easy to like rejoice in our high position before the Lord. Uh, it's an amazing high position. We are called children of God, right? We are accepted unconditionally by an almighty God. And on the other side, you know, we have a responsibility. And it's sort of easy to get one side or the other, but Paul, in that first sentence, can you see how he sees the weight, the power of both of those pieces? Um, James, in his letter, he, he sort of exhorts believers to be balanced, to remember both. He says, he says this, it's sort of an interesting quip. He says, the brother in humble circumstances should exult in his high position. But the one who is rich should exult in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. There's, there's a tension there. There's a, there's a tension in what it means to be a follower of Christ Jesus. And we need to hold on to that tension. Paul saw it acutely in his own life. So what does he see that mission as? Let's, let's continue on in that first verse. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So, the faith of God's elect. God has called out a people to be his very own. And Paul sees his mission as to encourage their faith, to strengthen their trust in a faithful God. But there again, Paul doesn't see this as uniquely his. If you look at verse 4, he's writing to Titus. How does he describe their relationship? To Titus, my true son in our common faith. This is, this is sort of central to the whole letter. You'll see it coming up again in verse 13, right? Um, what is... What is he supposed to be doing? What is Titus supposed to be doing with the Cretan church? He's supposed to be sharpening them so that they will be sound in the faith. All the way to the end. 
The, the second to last sentence in the entire letter, greet those who love us in the faith. There is, there is this thread that runs all the way through the letter about encouraging, blessing faith. But the interesting thing is it's woven with the second phrase there it's paired with. The faith of God and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So Paul weaves together this thread of faith with this thread of knowledge, of understanding. Um, now, I think it's important that it doesn't just say truth, right? I mean, because, frankly, God doesn't need Paul for truth, right? Truth is true. You know, there's a temperature outside, whether you know what it is or not, right? <laughs> there's the temperature. You knowing the temperature somehow matters. Uh, in my day job, I teach mathematics. I'm a math professor, right? Frankly, calculus works whether all of my students know it or all of them don't. I'll take the latter, but, you know, uh, realistically, the challenge and what Paul saw as his calling was to bring people into the knowledge of the truth, into an embrace of the, the reality that is the Lord. Okay? So, faith and a knowledge of the truth. And you can see that knowledge of the truth, that thread goes all the way through the letter again. And this is not just about Paul's calling, this is about what he's called to equip other people to. So Paul's writing this letter and sort of, as we'll see in the coming weeks, he commissions Titus to appoint elders. And in that commissioning, he says, this is what you should be looking for in those leaders. One of those things, I'm in verse 9, is that he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, right? He has to hold on to the truth, but that's not enough. He has to be ready so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. You have to have a firm grasp on the truth so that you can share, so that you can extend it. And that's, <laughs> somehow that's way harder sometimes than just knowing it. Um, we were getting ready for church today, and um, my three-year-old, uh, you know, we were getting the, the pennies and nickels and quarters out for the offering. And she says, so why do we give money to Jesus? And it's sort of like, well, <clears throat> if I had two pages <laughs> and you had a master's degree, we could talk about the fact that giving to the Lord um, corrects a flaw in the human heart that tends to think things are mine. We could talk about the fact that, um, you know, giving to the Lord is a command that we were given for our good. We could talk about the fact that it's all the Lord's anyway and we return a portion. And we could talk about the things that the Lord uses that money for. But she's three and her attention span is about 20 seconds, right? So, <laughs> so I'm sort of like, okay, you know, am I ready? Am I ready for the answer? Are you ready? Do you not just know the truth? Are you ready to encourage? I love that word, to encourage others by sound doctrine. Paul doesn't just stop with that there. That's not just his hope for the elders. He continues in chapter 2, which we'll, we'll get to as well. Um, what, what he starts the chapter with is you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. He talks about the older women in their, the importance of them being able to teach. He talks to the younger men about in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness. 
This is the theme throughout. There is faith. And that faith is interwoven with a knowledge of the truth, an understanding of the truth that isn't just for yourself. This is for the community. This is bigger than us. And it leads to something. And I think this is kind of what makes Titus so unique is so consistently he leads to this same thing. It leads to godliness right there at the end of verse 1. The faith and knowledge of the truth lead to godliness. It leads to goodness coming out of your life. And this, I think this is unique to the book to Crete, and particularly because of that culture. If you remember, Crete had this culture that was about ungodliness. They you know, they, they lift it up. Hey, how could you steal? How could you, how could you trick other people? Wouldn't that be cool if your kids could pick pockets better than the kids next door? You know, I mean, that's who we are. And yet, Paul is saying this faith, this knowledge of the truth leads to something. It leads to goodness, to your life looking like a very good God. And in fact, I'll let you count them out yourself, but five times he says in this letter, do what is good, teach what is good. What is good, what is good. You should meditate on what is good. And that is really a theme in this letter to Titus and to ex by extension to the Cretan church. Okay, so on to verse two. You think we're done with that? Well, no. Paul reiterates. <laughs> uh, what, what am I here for? A faith and a knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. So again, that faith and that knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, here's another quip, right? Who, who are you? Who were you as Cretans? You were liars and cheats. Who are you? You were serving a God who does not lie. Okay? A faith and knowledge resting on a hope on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So there is a hope. There is a hope that this faith and this knowledge comes from, and it is eternal life. Now, one of the things that when I was... When I was young, I sort of had a misconception of was this word life in the Bible. Because in biology class, right, I mean, you have a definition of life. I think it's like, don't hold me to this, cell replication. Like if you can, if you can replicate cells and um, you'll have to ask somebody, do we have any biology majors in the house? No? Oh, they're looking around. They're not confessing it, folks. But somehow or other, even though after you die, your, your um, toenails continue to grow, that's not really alive. So it's cell replication, but there's some fine points there. But that's not really the way the Bible looks at life. The Bible looks at life. When Jesus says, if you want to enter life, he's talking to people who are already replicating cells. If you want to enter life, he's talking about relating to the author of life. He's talking about being in relationship with God. That's being truly alive. And so eternal life is going to be with God. 
And yet God is somehow with us. And so we have this taste of eternal life now. And so this, there's this interesting thing, the hope, the hope that this is built on is that we get a life with God. We get a life with God now. We get a life with God for all eternity, living in rightness with him. But then he said that God promised this before the creation of the world, that literally before eternity. So really what we're seeing here is Paul is saying, God will be faithful. That's what this is built on. But God has been faithful. God has promised things and they are true. And then it's interesting because Paul hones in here and he says, and at his appointed season, he brought his word to light. God will be true. God has been true. God is true right now. Paul is saying, God brought these words to light in my life. God is at work in our lives today. His timing is just right, and he is trustworthy. And his trustworthiness and his steadfastness are what really allows us as a body to build the, the humble faith and the humble knowledge of the truth that lead to godliness. This is who Paul sees himself as. It's one of the longest introductions that Paul has to himself we find anywhere. But Paul thinks it's really important to say, this is who I am. This is how I see life unfolding. I mean, it's sort of interesting because Titus already knew him, right? <laughs> this is not like for Titus, oh, Paul, that's who you are, right? This is a reminder. This is Paul reminding Titus, this is who I am. And then he says to Titus, my true son in our common faith, to Titus, you are a spiritual son. Remember, life comes from right relationship with God. And so being his true son here means I shared this message of hope, the message of submission to an almighty God and forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. And you received that message. You became my spiritual son. And you share in this wonderful common faith. And then he's going to unpack, really, for the rest of the letter, how am I asking you to live out this wonderful life of godliness? And then he closes with a greeting. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. So, that's, that's interesting partly because of what the most common greeting was. Uh, so, Paul was Jewish. And the most common greeting would have been shalom. That, that's peace. Um, rest, a sort of a well-being. If, if a, a Jewish person was greeting another Jewish person, saying hello, saying goodbye, um, my understanding is they would have said shalom, that they prayed the Lord's blessing, the Lord's rest, the Lord's sort of wholeness and rightness on their life. And Paul takes that, but he puts something in front of it. And that is grace, undeserved favor, unmerited favor. Um, in fact, that's repeated 104 times in the New Testament. Paul gets back to grace in chapter 2. Um, he, he mentions it again, but 
can you see what Paul is doing? He's saying, I want peace, I want shalom. But the avenue to that, the avenue to a rightness, a wholeness, a rest, is through the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ. And this is what I pray for you. Now that is among the most common phrases you will see in every single letter that Paul writes. Grace and peace to you. And Paul wants that for his, his hearers. He wants it for you. He wants it for himself. That is a promise that you can believe, that you can embrace. If you have never believed in that grace, that undeserved favor, if you've never given yourself over to God, Paul would say, receive that grace. And if you have received that grace, Paul would say, embrace that grace. Hear it today. Love it today. Live it today. That's something that that I want to start out every morning with. I want to start out every morning remembering that I am invited to a grace. I am invited to undeserved favor that leads to peace in my life. I think that's why Paul repeats it so much. Frankly, it's hard to continue to hold on to that. And so I'm going to sort of wrap up with just two questions. And I think these questions are really the questions that Paul is answering about himself. The questions are, who are you and what have you been entrusted with? Remember, Paul says, this is who I am. And then he said, I have been entrusted to preach this message. The challenge isn't somehow sort of knowing in the back of your head who you are. The challenge is remembering it when you get up in the morning. Because frankly, I, you know, I don't know if you're a morning person or not. I think of myself as a morning person. But, you know, 5 a.m., I woke up to a child screaming. Um, <laughs> it was a good morning. It was 5 a.m., right? You know, <laughs> uh, uh, bless you those who have more than two children. I don't know. I think there's a special, <laughs> a special measure of grace to you. Two is, two is plenty to get up to for me. Um, I think there was only one in the night and then that one at 5 a.m. last night. And, and so the challenge is, how do I remember who I am then? You know, I am not tired, as, as my three-year-old would love to remind me. She has this joke. If you know her, you've probably heard it. Are you hungry? And she'll ask you until you say yes. Hello, hungry. You know, are you tired? Hello, tired. No, that's not who you are. You are called to be a child of God. I am too. And so I want to change the question just slightly to whose are you? Are you remembering whose you are? You belong to God if you've given your life to him. That's who you are. That is supposed to change everything in your perspective. And really, perhaps most important, Maybe we have been entrusted with some things that are of value, that we're responsible with. But most importantly, who have you been entrusted with? Who has the Lord given you access to? Paul had access to Titus. He had access to the Cretans. And he wanted to use that for God's purposes. And so often, I don't know why, but I seem to get distracted from the ones I know the Lord has given me. 
from the privilege, you know, that I spent many of my years begging the Lord to give me a wife, begging the Lord to give me a family. And I have one. These ones have been entrusted to me. And there are people that have been entrusted to you. It might not be children. It might be your parents. It might be a roommate. It might be a coworker. Who has been entrusted to you? Sometimes you don't get to pick. Sometimes they're not the people you would prefer to have entrusted to you. But that is a trust. That is a trust from a good, good God. And you have the opportunity. I have the opportunity. If I can just remember. If I can just remember <laughs> that it's a privilege to wake up at five in the morning. Not everyone gets that. I have two more pictures to help me remember. The left one's my work. I have students. There are some fellow teachers in there. It's a privilege to get to go to work. It's a privilege not everyone has. I have an opportunity because I know someone that many of the people in that picture don't know. That is Jesus Christ. I know his love. And some of them don't. Some of them are dying in the biblical sense. Their insides are rotting out because they don't know hope. I have to remember that. And you have to remember that. This is important. That picture on the right, some dear, dear friends. <laughs> oh, sorry. <clears throat> Peter and Gabby. Um, Peter's on a Fulbright uh, fellowship. He's been at SFA the last year. And you guys are a gift. Thank you. Um, my wife ran into Gabby by, by the duck pond, I believe. We've been friends this year. <clears throat> Those are their kids, Nathan and Ayla. I just found out this week that they are headed back to Slovakia, hopefully for good things. I pray that the Lord uses you there to make much of him, to share the amount that you know of him, and to grow in your knowledge of him. It's been a privilege this year. And recognize your relationships might not last forever. Sometimes you get a week to say goodbye, to celebrate together. Sometimes you don't. But we have a privilege, and it is so, so important that you remember whose you are and that you remember who has been entrusted to you. Will you pray with me? Ah, Lord, you are good. You are the author of life, and you bring life. You bring life into a broken world. You bring abundance. You bring hope. And we confess that we are easily distracted, easily distracted by the most petty things. But you are not. You are a good teacher. You are a good father. And so we want to make much of your name. We want to worship you. We want to thank you because you are a loving God and you are spreading that love through us. Lord, give us your strength. Strengthen the faith within us. Cultivate the knowledge of the truth within us. Let it lead to your goodness flowing through us, to the people in our lives that you have entrusted to us. 
Amen.